Hello, everyone. I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Smith coming to you this week from Atlanta, Michigan. We'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. Each week, Ministry Watch brings you news about Christian ministries as well as the latest in charity and philanthropy, news that we examine from a Christian worldview perspective, and our goal is to help us become better stewards of the resources God has entrusted to us. On today's program, a Hillsong update, and we look at where all the money went that Christians gave to Glenn Beck and others who promised to provide relief during the Afghan airlift. Later in the program, we look at Facebook and the most popular Christian Facebook pages. They are both more and less than meets the eye. We begin today with news that Southern Baptists will waive attorney-client privilege in order to facilitate their investigation into sexual abuse in that denomination. Yeah, ending weeks of debate, the Southern Baptist Convention's executive committee voted on Tuesday to waive attorney-client privilege as part of an investigation of how Southern Baptist leaders have handled sexual abuse cases in recent decades. The motion passed 44 to 31, so it was far from unanimous. In fact, six committee members resigned before Tuesday's meeting, and at least one member threatened during the day's passionate debate to quit if the motion passed. Other opponents pleaded for more delays. Several who had opposed waiving privilege in the past, though, did flip their votes, and the motion, of course, ultimately did pass. What's the significance of this vote? Well, it means that the company investigating how the Southern Baptist Convention is handling sexual abuse cases, that company is called Guidepost Solutions, uh, will now have complete access to all communications related to the matter. Abuse survivors have been saying all along that waiving attorney-client privilege was absolutely essential to the process. They said that without full and complete access to all correspondence and records, the investigation by Guy Boat Solutions would end up being a sham and a cover-up. So what happens next? Well, believe it or not, things could actually go silent for a few months. And I say believe it or not because there's been a lot of noise for the last couple of weeks. But Guidepost Solutions now has both the funding and the mandate to get on with this investigation. Earlier in the week, the executive committee voted to allocate more than a million dollars to Guidepost Solutions for this project. So now Guidepost will do its work. And they will ultimately, of course, issue a report. But don't expect that report to come back in days or even weeks. I've covered situations like this in the past, and sometimes the report can take up to a year. The Chris Rice case, for example. Yeah, that's right. Christian singer Chris Rice was accused of sexual misconduct, and an organization called Grace was hired to do that investigation. And that was, in fact, a year ago. October 15th was when we first reported on this story. Um, But So far, there's been no report, even though both the church and Grace assure me that the investigation is ongoing. So to do things right, it just takes some time. Yeah, that's right. But in the meantime, if you'd like to get caught up, you might say, on uh, what's been going on, we've published this week a timeline of events. You might call it a brief 
guide to the meltdown that's been happening in the SBC. You can find it on the front page of our website. Our next story involves the tens of millions of dollars that have been raised to help people in Afghanistan. There are now questions about where that money is going. Yeah, various charities have raised about $50 million that we've been able to track uh, to airlift people out of Afghanistan right after the American withdrawal there. But fundraising has proved far easier than the actual evacuating itself. In August, for example, Glenn Beck, the conservative Mormon media star and the founder of Blaze Media, uh, raised nearly $30 $30 million so that his charity called the Nazarene Fund could rescue people from Afghanistan. But on August 24th, the Christian outlet CBN, Christian Broadcasting Network, posted what they called an incredible update that praised Beck's fundraising. And he they said that he did it with no help from mainstream media and claimed to have secured 20 757 aircraft uh, lined up and ready to go. They predicted that 7,000 Christians would be flown from Afghanistan within days. Beck called the effort truly a miracle and claimed that 1,200 Christians had been evacuated and flown to safety by August 24th. But it has been impossible to independently verify any of Beck's claims. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, Neither Beck nor the Nazarene Fund nor his other charity, Mercury One, are answering any questions from Ministry Watch, and we've reached out to all of them or any other media outlets that we can see. The fact-checking organization Snopes.com reported that Beck's claims can't be verified. Snopes has been waiting for answers from Beck's two charities since early September. A September 23rd CBN post hailed Beck for bringing out far fewer people. Uh, The headline said, Glenn Beck finally able to rescue 100 Afghan refugees after weeks of obstacles. The CBN post did not address the earlier claims on their own network that 7,000 people had been uh, flown to safety. It does not appear that CBN has even attempted to independently verify any of Beck's claims in the two posts that they have put up so far. And meanwhile, another airlift effort has floundered, according to the Washington Post investigation. Yeah, on August 17th, a 26-year-old Instagram star named Tommy Marcus, he goes by Quentin Quarantino online, uh, launched an organization called Operation Flyaway. It was a GoFundMe crowdfunding effort uh, designed to raise $550,000 for flights. He said that every single nickel of everything raised will go either to pay for flights or to support these humans through various nonprofits. Marcus uh, said that he ultimately raised $7.2 million and called that response a miracle. But lacking any prior philanthropic experience, he was pretty quickly overwhelmed. Marcus later claimed that Operation Flyaway had helped evacuate hundreds of people. Yeah, but the Post investigation found that that just wasn't true. Uh, Marcus also claimed that Operation Flyaway evacuated members of an Afghan girls robotics team, even sharing a photo of team members. The Washington Post found uh, that another group had actually evacuated that robotics team. Marcus later acknowledged the false report, blaming his fake news report on faulty information that he had received. Now, I should add that 
Ministry Watch has been following this story since at least August. Um, we've been reporting on Glenn Beck's efforts, uh, and also uh, we've had stories about his board, his leadership, and finances. The $30 million received for the airlifts was four times what Mercury One had received in 2019. And that year, Mercury One spent about a third of its income on fundraising and had only about 27 employees. Orn, let's look at one more story before the break. Hillsong Church founder Brian Houston will plead not guilty to illegally concealing alleged child abuse by his father, his lawyer told the court on Tuesday. Yeah, Houston himself did not appear at Sydney's Downing Center local court where his charge was mentioned before a registrar for the first time. His lawyer told the court that Houston would be pleading not guilty to the charge of concealing a serious indictable offense of another person, and that other person was his father, Frank Houston. So what happens next? Well, the case will uh, actually be heard in court on November 23rd. Can you back up and give us a little bit more of the backstory? Yeah, police will allege that Frank Houston, that's Brian Houston's father, indecently assaulted a young male in 1970. Now, that's that was a long time ago, but court documents uh, allege that Brian Houston knew that his father had committed the crime. Police will allege further that the younger Houston, Brian Houston, failed to disclose this information to police uh, when that disclosure could have helped them prosecute his father. Now, since being charged, Houston has stepped down from the board of Hillsong, the church that he founded with his wife, Bobby, back in 1983. It's now a global empire. The church says that a 150,000 people in 30 countries attend services every week, and 50 million people sing songs from Hillsong every week in their churches. Uh, Houston is 64 years old, and he was in the United States in August when detectives served his Sydney lawyers with that notice to appear in court. Now, he said in a statement at that time that he welcomed the opportunity to set the record straight. Houston then returned to Sydney and was released from 14 days of hotel quarantine just last week. Warren, we need to take a break, but when we return, Texas Baptists take a major step to ban sexual offenders from church leadership. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith. We'll be back after this short break. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. The executive board of the Baptist General Convention of Texas has approved a policy permanently disqualifying registered sex offenders from church leadership. 
Yeah, they also put some teeth in the new policy, though not as many teeth as some would have liked, uh, saying that any congregation that violates this new standard may be considered outside of harmonious cooperation with the convention. That may be language, though, was debated, uh, and a lot of folks thought it should be must be or should be considered out of harmonious cooperation. So that maybe language is kind of a compromise in many ways. Uh, The amended policy statement approved by the executive board reads like this. The executive board of the Baptist General Convention of Texas maintains that any registered sex offender having sexually abused and or exploited others should be permanently disqualified from serving in leadership positions in the church. Churches which violate this standard may be considered out of harmonious cooperation with the churches of the BGCT. Now, Warren, our next story also involves denominational news at the state level. Yeah, not related to sexual improprieties, but financial improprieties in this case. The head of the Iowa Conference of the United Methodist Church encouraged congregations to review their financial practices after a Polk County, Iowa woman was sentenced to more than two years in a federal prison for stealing about $270,000 from a church where she was employed. In a state statement addressing what she called an unpleasant and uncomfortable topic, fraud and embezzlement, the United Methodist Church's bishop for that region, Laurie Haller, said that churches should scrutinize their procedures for practices such as counting offerings, accounting for donations, authorizing expenditures, reconciling accounts, and financial reporting. In summary, she said, review your safeguards. So what happened to the thief in this case? Well, her name was Melissa Nolan, 47 years old. She was formerly a financial records keeper at First United Methodist Church in Mason City, Iowa. She was sentenced to 27 months in federal prison uh, after pleading guilty to one count of wire fraud. In addition to the prison sentence, she was asked to pay $274,000 and a little bit of change in restitution to the church. Uh, And after that, served a three-year term of supervised release. Our next story involves something that many of our listeners have likely seen if they are also Facebook users. Yeah, that's right. Uh, let's say you're scrolling through your Facebook feed and you, uh, you see an upbeat, inspirational message from an organization that might be called Jesus is My Lord, or Purpose of Life, or Light of the World, or maybe Blessed to be a Blessing, or Blessed. Uh, maybe you liked or even shared that message. I mean, is there any Anything wrong with passing along a bit of encouraging news? Well, in this case, the answer is, yeah, maybe so. Uh, According to a recent study by the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, 19 of the top 20 Christian Facebook pages were fake. Uh, They were created by Eastern European troll farms that stole content from legitimate Facebook pages and then reposted them on their own pages and then promoted them to Christian audiences. It was all a part of an elaborate effort that used engaging and inspirational content to attract large and unsuspecting audiences to their pages uh, so that they could also distribute partisan political stories that they were being paid to distribute uh, and influence voters. In some cases, even divisive stories and conspiracy theories about hot-button issues such as race, for example. 
So where do these troll farms originate? And are Christians the only target? Well, no, Christians are not the only targets, um, but Christians are uh, important targets for these troll farms. Uh, the majority of the most popular pages for, for example, African Americans or Native American audiences also come from troll farms, um, which are often professional groups in places like Kosovo or Macedonia or other countries that work in a coordinated manner to provide inspirational content to draw people in and then provocative content and political uh, propaganda once they've sort of got them hooked. Do these fake sites really reach a lot of people? Well, troll farms reached about 140 million Americans a month on Facebook before the right before the 2020 election. And when you like or share these inspirational posts, you become a part of a database that gets targeted to receive these political or other messages. The troll farms get paid for producing and disseminating the content, and of course, pay, Facebook gets paid too. It's a vicious cycle that rewards itself for producing this fake news and partisan propaganda. Man, that's wild. So what do we do about that? Well, the MIT report recommends that we develop some basic social media literacy. Don't share content from unknown sources. Even if you think it's pretty innocent, you might be funding something or providing information for a database. Um, you might be promoting, of course, false information. And even if it's true, uh, the content, as I said, could be just merely bait to get you and others in your network into their databases. So the bottom line is user beware. Warren, we're going to take another quick break. When we return our weekly lightning round of ministry news, I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's SaveTheStorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch Podcast. Now, Warren, we like to use this last little segment as a sort of lightning round of shorter news briefs. What's up first? Well, religious broadcaster Pat Robertson is retiring from his Christian Broadcasting Network's long-running 700 Club program. The white-haired evangelist is a pioneer, of course, in Christian media. He was a one-time presidential candidate on the Republican Party. He made the announcement on Friday, October the 1st, on the 60th anniversary of CBN's first broadcast. Robertson is 91 years old, and he suffered a stroke in 2018, but he appeared to rebound. He said that his announcement wasn't really a true retirement, that he wants to keep teaching students at Regent University, which he founded in 1977. Warren, this past week, we rolled over into a new month, and Ministry Watch has a new monthly list. 
Yeah, we do. This month, we posted the 50 largest evangelism and discipleship ministries in the country. Crew, formerly known as Campus Crusade for Christ, is at the top of this list, and they were at the top of the list last year as well. This is the second year that we've been uh, doing these lists. But there's been some movement a little bit farther down, and so check out the list. It's really interesting if you're a list guy guy or gal like I am. Uh, we include the financial efficiency rating uh, of every ministry, and we also link to the 2020 list so you can see what some of those differences are. Who's in the ministry spotlight this week? Well, the Heifer Project International is in the ministry spotlight. It's a group that I'm guessing a lot of our listeners will know about. Uh, It was founded in 1944 as a global development organization to end hunger and poverty. Heifer started by making sure that small farmers had a cow, a heifer, thus the name of the organization. But it has expanded significantly. It operates in more than 20 countries around the world. It says to strengthen local economies and build secure livelihoods that help close the gap uh, to living income uh, for small-scale farmers. That sounds like a worthy goal. Well, it is, but unfortunately, donors should beware. The Heifer Project gets a one-star financial efficiency rating from Ministry Watch, which is our lowest possible rating. It is not a member of the ECFA, the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability, which makes it one of the largest ministries in the country that is not a member. And speaking of large, uh, it takes in more than $130 million a year. Now, a big reason it takes in so much money though, and one of the reasons it has such a low financial efficiency rating is that it spends about 20% of its annual income on fundraising. That's approaching $30 million a year, uh, which is about three times more than those in its peer group. So the group is doing good work, but at tremendous cost. If you're a donor to Heifer, you should take a closer look and maybe ask some tough questions before you give them any more money. And who do you have in the Ministries Making a Difference column this week? Well, OCJ Kids is a partnership with T-Mobile, has launched a program offering free phones to youth who have aged out of the foster system. OCJ Kids, by the way, stands for Opportunity, Community, and Justice for Kids, which is an Arizona-based nonprofit that connects churches with youth in foster care group homes. Another um ministry that we're highlighting is School of Promise, which is a Christian school in Thailand run by Hope International Schools. They're producing textbooks for Thai students that cover key topics, including a Christian worldview. And finally, I want to mention that the National Association of Evangelicals has put together a list of more than 50 ways that you can bless your pastor during Clergy Appreciation Month. There are ideas that um, provide specific ways to pray, encourage, serve, and give to your church and to your pastor. And by the way, the Clergy Appreciation Project is run by my friend Brian Cluth, who has been a guest on the Ministry Watch Extra podcast. That conversation is really worth a listen, and you can find it by going to our website, clicking on the podcast tab at the top of the page, and then scrolling down until you find it. It's just a couple of months ago that we had that conversation. So it's pretty near the top of the list. 
And Ministry Watch's tour of states continues. It sure does. Uh, This week, we highlight the state of Arizona. It's number seven on our list of states with the most Ministry Watch 1000 ministries. Uh, We rank by revenue, so the fact that Grand Canyon University is there gives that state a big boost. But Grand Canyon is not all the state has to offer. You can check out the list by going to the Ministry Watch website. And again, it's right on the front page. Do you have any final thoughts before we go? Well, just a reminder that there's a quick, easy, and free way that you can support this podcast, and that is simply to give us a rating on your podcast app. The more ratings we get, the more attention we get from search engines, and that helps new listeners find us. And by the way, when you give us a rating, leave us a comment as well. I'd love to read all of the comments there. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosal and Steve Gandy. We get database and other technical support from Kathy Guttard, Stephen DeBerry, and Casey Suddeth. Writers who contributed to today's program include Christina Darnell, Ann Steich, Kim Roberts, Steve Raby, Bob Smetanya, Rod Pritzer, and Yonat Shimron. I'm Natasha Smith in Atlanta, Michigan. And I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch Podcast. Until next time, may God bless you. you.